Thanks, you guys. How's everybody doing? Fantastic. I love it. Merry Christmas post, two days after Christmas. Hope it was well for everybody. Anybody getting the live animals? Some people get live animals for Christmas, right? I just don't know if anybody... So a great week for, for, well, for a lot of us, but a great week for me. Um, My daughter came home Monday. I picked her up from LAX from London. She was there for four months. Many of you have been praying for her. Thank you so much. She's doing great. She's going to rest for a couple weeks before moving back to Pepperdine to finish her studies. So anyway, it was great to see her and have her home for the holidays. Awesome. Thursday night, we had our two Christmas Eve services. Incredible. If you contributed to helping the festivities, thank you so much. It was a really wonderful, two wonderful services. The kids were great. The worship was incredible. Just a fun night. So thank you for either being here or for contributing uh, to Thursday. And then um, one of my highlights of the last seven days was last weekend listening to Pastor Dave um, teach us out of Psalm 143. I thought it was incredible, as good as I've ever heard. We are so blessed. Love you, Pastor Dave. Thank you for Psalm 143 last week. It was incredible. My wife was here at 9 a.m., and she told me during the break, she goes, I think you breathed once in the first service. So my goal is to breathe twice. Double my efforts. (laughs) You know, it's just silly. I I don't realize how fast I go, and I'm kind of like a little Energizer bunny, and sometimes I apologize for that, and other times I'm not sure what to do with it. But um, I'm excited about this psalm. I'm really excited about this psalm, Psalm 96. Let me open with this. And then uh, then we're going to read the psalm, and then we're going to pray. The celebrated and much-read C.S. Lewis entitled his autobiography this. He entitled it, Surprised by Joy. In characteristic brilliance and artistic attractiveness, C.S. Lewis shared the intimacies of his life, his desire to discover faith, and his difficulties in finding it, which perhaps many of us have experienced as well. He spoke frankly of his mother's death, his study and snobbery at Oxford, World War I, his father's death, and his rediscovery of self. At last, in his room at Oxford in 1929, he wrote this. He says, I gave in and admitted that God was God, and I knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own two feet. What a great quote. He recognized that God was God and then he responded. And that's what we're going to talk about. Who is God and how do we respond? Let's turn to Psalm 96. Psalm 96, 13 action-packed verses. Psalm 96, starting in verse 1. Sing to the Lord. A new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Verse 9, worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. 
Verse 11, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. That all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this psalm. And we pray that we would open up our hearts and our minds and our spirits to receive from you what you have for us and that we would trust you for it in jesus name and everybody said let me give you a summary of psalm 96 psalm 96 begins by calling on us to sing to the lord so that the blessed and powerful name of jehovah may indeed be praised so that the salvation of god will be daily proclaimed in israel and the wonders of his majesty made known to those that do not know him This exhortation to us is justified by the exaltation of Jehovah as the only God and the only creator, and yet is also he who has made his sanctuary the glorious place of his self-revelation. With this in mind, a call is addressed to the nations to worship this God and a charge given to his people to proclaim among the nations the joyful message of his coming when he shall appear for judgment and yet bring with him blessings for the whole earth. The psalm closes with the call to the whole universe, including the heavens, the earth, the sea, the fields, and the trees, to praise the Lord. This psalm, like the one before it, Psalm 95, praises Yahweh as king and judge of the universe. Some believe Psalm 96 was used in the dedication of the second temple when the Jews returned to Judah from their exile in Babylon. As you read the psalm, you can see how it would apply to a weak Jewish remnant that came back and was surrounded by strong Gentile nations. The psalm also looks ahead to the kingdom age when Messiah shall reign and the Gentile nations will worship the God of Israel. How's that? That's your summary. Here's our outline. One through six, one true God. One true God. Seven, eight, nine, and ten, one true king. And then 11, 12, and 13, one true judge. The big idea, only by knowing who God is can we know how to properly respond. Much like C.S. Lewis when he recognized that God is God and then he knelt and he prayed. Knowing who God is requires a response. Only by knowing who God is can we know how to properly respond. So let's start unpacking Psalm 96. There are two prominent things that kept jumping out of me when I wrestled with Psalm 96. These two things contain three letters. W-H-O, who, and H-O-W, how. We're going to focus on who, we're going to focus on how. Who, who is the psalm about? Clearly Psalm 96 is about the Lord. He is the main subject of this psalm. Let's take a look, start in verse 1. Let's see our subject here, starting in verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of 
His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. You get the point? In these 13 verses of Psalm 96, the Lord is referenced 24 times. Additionally, with the content uh, of these verses, not only does it show us who the main subject is, clearly God, but it gives us an understanding of who He is. It tells us something about Him in these 13 verses. So that's the first thing, is the who. Now the how. How do we respond? Verse after verse in Psalm 96, the psalmist not only does the magnificent job of articulating many of God's wonderful attributes, but he also informs the reader or the audience on what their proper response should be. Imagine, knock, 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 and you open the door and it's God. How do you respond to that? God knocks you open the door and it's God Almighty, the creator of the universe. When you recognize who it is, our response is very important. Wouldn't you agree? How would we respond to the who that is before us? Let's take a look at some of the hows in, in Psalm 96. Okay, starting at verse 1. First, sing to the Lord. He says it again. Sing to the Lord. Oh, a third time. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation. Tell of His glory. Tell of His wonderful deeds. He is greatly to be praised in verse 4. He is to be feared above all gods. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe in verse 8, ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. We are to bring an offering. We are to come into His courts. We are to worship the Lord in holy attire. We are to tremble before Him. We are to say among the nations, the Lord is King. Even in verse 11 and 12, it says, Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar. Let the field exult. And the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Even the inanimate objects are to have a response to the Lord. How much more should you and I? In these 13 verses, we have 24 references to God and 20 commands of response. Who is God and how do we respond to this God that is before us? The who and the how cannot be separated. The who and the how cannot be separated. It's going to sound like a Dr. Seuss book pretty soon. It makes sense to me that as I continue to more fully understand who God is, the how of my response will and should continually change and mature. Can I get an amen? Right? If I continue to understand more of who He is, my how, how I respond, should change and mature. Jesus understood this as well. Turn to Mark chapter 8. The book of Mark chapter 8. Starting at verse 27. 
we're halfway, in, in Mark 8, it's halfway. There's 16 chapters in the book of Mark. And so his disciples and many people have been following Jesus for quite some time. And so it's a perfect time for Jesus to ask a question. In verse 27, Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned him, the, the disciples, and he said, Who do people say that I am? That's a pretty legitimate question. They told him, saying, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others say you're one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, bless his heart, he says, you are the Christ. And so Jesus warned them to tell no one about him. Verse 31, so he began to teach, so he started to tell them more about who he was, right? So they understand who he is, and so then he gives them some more. He began to teach them that the Son of Man himself must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was uh, stating this matter plainly and Peter, oh, it's like, Peter, don't do it. Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke the Lord. And turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not set in your mind on God's interests but man's. And this is just wonderful that that this is recorded in Scripture because God reveals who He is and we do well. We say, you're the Christ. And then He reveals more and sometimes we just kind of mess it up. And God loves us and He rebukes us because He loves us, right? And then He just continues to reveal more and we get a deeper understanding of who He is and a better response for how we should respond to Him. Continuing, verse 34. He summoned the crowd with His disciples and said to them, this is the how now, right? So you recognize that I'm Christ. That's the who. Now he's going to say, here's how you should respond. If you wish to come after me, you must deny himself, yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit us to gain the whole world but forfeit our soul? What will we, will we, will we give in exchange for our soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the angels. Wow, who is our Lord? And how do we respond to that? Nothing is more important than that. Nothing. Here's what amazes me and what I'm so, so, so thankful for. Because we serve an infinite God, we serve an infinite God, We are always privileged to be in a place of learning more about who God is. I've walked with the Lord for 36 years and I'm embarrassed about how little I know. For how much can I really know about an infinite God? And so I'm so thankful that I can continue to know more and more about who God is. Which means then how we respond should also be developing and maturing, right? If God is, is infinite and continues to reveal to us more and more of who he is, how we respond should be developing and maturing. Is that true of you? Is that true of me? There are some things I just haven't matured in in the years that I've walked with the Lord. And we just get hung up on some stuff. And we hold on to stuff. And I'm working through that, probably like many of you. Do you find that your life is constantly being filled with more of who he is and that the how of your responding is also developing or is it not? What a great challenging question for us, especially for the new year. Something to really consider for the new year. So part one, the who. What is the who of Psalm 96? Many attributes of our Lord are found in this psalm. 
But I believe that verse 10, going back to Psalm 96, is a good place to start. It provides the best summary. Verse 10 says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And then we're going to go back to verse 1, but let me just explain why I'm starting here. The Lord reigns. To reign means to rule and to reign as king. It means supreme ruler over people, nation, or nations, or to install someone as king or supreme ruler, which is what we did a couple weeks ago in Psalm 2 when, when the Lord appointed Christ as his king. The Hebrew word for reign or for king is melech, M-E-L-E-K. And it occurs more than 2,500 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. And in Psalm 96, it refers to God and it designates God as the one invested with ultimate authority and power over his subjects. That's you and that's me. The concept of the kingship of God is very basic to biblical revelation. It's one of the very first places we start. We need to understand that God is king. And it helps to organize everything through Scripture. Let's take a look at what the psalmist would want us to focus on in this psalm about our Lord and about our king. Let's start at the beginning. He is a king, in verse 2, that brings salvation. That's the first thing. He is a king that brings salvation. It says, proclaim good tidings of his salvation. What that means is it's the Lord who helps us. It's the Lord who preserves us from harm. It's the Lord who delivers us. It's the Lord that saves us. That's one characteristic of our God. The second, he is a king that is glorious in verse 3. Tell of his glory, it says in verse 3. Meaning that the Lord exists in a state of highest honor and highest importance. The third thing is he is a king that does wonderful deeds. Also in verse 3, his wonderful deeds, it mentions at the end of verse 3. He is a king that does wonderful deeds. What does that mean? To do something, listen, this is crazy, to do something that is too difficult to do. Huh? To do something that's too difficult to do. That's our God. A marvelous event manifesting a supernatural act of a divine agent, often deviating from the normal course or laws of nature. What that means is he's one who does the miraculous. God does miracles, even today. Four, he is a king that is great. It says in verse four, for great is the Lord. For great is the Lord. Great means remarkable or out of the ordinary in degree, magnitude, or effect. Fifth, he is a king that's real. Look in verse five. For all the gods of everybody else, all the peoples are idols. And that word idols means non-existent thing. That's crazy, right? All the gods are non-existent, but the Lord made the heavens. Our God made the heavens. And in verse 10, it says he firmly established the world. Additionally, not only is he real because he made something, but our King, Jesus Christ, came in the flesh. He's real. I remember witnessing to a guy about 20 years ago for about four years. We'd play pool at my house and we'd talk about the Lord. And he just thought I was completely bonkers. And then he went home after four years, and this, <laughs> this is kind of when the internet was coming out, right? And he Googled, I don't even know what you call it, back then, did a search, and, and he saw that Jesus Christ actually existed. And he committed his life in front of his computer. Right? Like Google saved him. I didn't have anything to do with it, apparently. Right? It's crazy. But he, 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 he says, I, didn't re- I just thought it was a story, and I, and I realized that Jesus was real. So that's the fifth thing. He is a king that is real. Six, he is a king that's full of splendor. It starts off in verse six. Splendor is before him. 
And splendor means possessing the quality of being powerful and magnificent. Seven, he is a king that is full of majesty, also in verse 6. And majesty is the quality and adornment of a person which inspires awe or reverence in the beholder, which can be related to their size, their strength, their power, and their authority. Number eight, he is a king filled with strength, also in verse 6. The property of being both physically and mentally strong. Might, power, fortified, or fortress come to mind. Nine, he is a king filled with beauty, also in verse 6. The state of being highly respected or revered. Ten, he is a king who is coming back, and he's going to come back to judge the world. And it says that in verse 13. He is coming, he is coming to judge, and he will do so in righteousness and faithfulness, and verse 10 says, and with equity. He will judge in righteousness according to a standard, his word. He will judge in faithfulness, which means he will judge honestly and trustworthiness is part of his judgment. He will judge with equity, which means fairly and with integrity and according to a moral standard. So that was the who of God. Part two, the how of Psalm 96. We shift our focus now to how we are to respond. How do we respond to all that we just learned about our Lord and King? If he is indeed our king, how are we to behave as his loyal subjects? A king should have loyal subjects. Agree? Let me ask you this. Have you ever met someone that was simply not what you would say normal? Have you ever met somebody, you just go, wow, they're just a little different. You can include me if you're thinking of me. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Right? Okay, thanks for the hand that just went up. You meet some people and you go, they're just, you know, they're a little different right? Maybe I'm one of those people for you. But we meet people like that. When we encounter people like that, for me, sometimes I don't know how to respond because who they are is just a little different, right? My wife and I always laugh like, you know, like, like what's normal? What does normal mean? Because somebody else, that, that who they are is their normal. So I'm not normal to them. That's just it's totally relative. It's silly, right? So who they are can sometimes throw off how we respond. I, I like to say it this way. Their who messes up my how. Your who is messing up my how. Who you are, I don't know how to respond to that. Here's cool. Think about this. Or here's what's cool. There is no one like our God and King. There is no one like our God and King. Not even close. It makes sense to me that learning how to respond to who the Lord is is going to be an ongoing challenge in our lives until He comes back or until we go to see Him. It just makes sense to me. That's going to be a challenge. That should be an encouragement. This is not, this is, right? His who just really throws me for my how. It's difficult because no one's like our God and King. But... It's going to be a joyful challenge. And the most important challenge of our lives, how do I respond to the who of God? What a great challenge for us. What a great challenge for a new year. What does Psalm 96 reveal to us then about how we are to respond to our great king? And this is no small task, church. May the Lord be our strength to respond well in the new year. Let's start in verse 1. How are we to respond? Three times the psalmist says, Sing! Sing, sing. I love to sing praises to the Lord. I do. 
And I think God wants to hear us sing to Him. And so, you know, develop a strategy. Come to church and either sit with a bunch of other bad singers and just join in with them if that's not your deal, or sit with a bunch of good singers. But sing. Sing at home. Sing in the shower. Sing in the car. Sing to the Lord. If you sing a little, sing a little bit more. Find a way to sing to God. I love to sing to God. You want me to sing to you right now? Sing to the Lord. That's what it says. Find a way to sing. I don't know if that's more difficult for men, if it's more difficult for women. I just think it's difficult in general. But it shouldn't be. Shouldn't we want to sing to our Lord? I don't know. That's the first thing. We're to bless His name. It says in verse 2, the end of, sing to the Lord, bless His name. To bless His name means to speak words of excellence about God. Do we take moments to speak words of excellence to our God? Do we drive around, see something of beauty? Maybe we almost hit somebody and we didn't. Speak words of excellence. Lord, thank you for this. Lord, thank you for that. You know, when I, when I can, I, I, you know, I try to say things to people that don't know the Lord, to, to speak words of excellence about our God. That's what it means to bless His name. Don't just say, I bless your name. Speak words of excellence about Him. What are those things you can call out? That's what blesses Him. Three, we are to proclaim good tidings of salvation, it says in verse 2. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Proclaim good tidings is actually one word in the Hebrew. Proclaim good tidings is where we get the word evangelize. We are to evangelize about his salvation. There's a lot of things I hope we become as a church, but boy, if we are not evangelistic, if we are not here and one of our primary purposes is to let people know that Jesus Christ can change their lives, then we're doing something wrong. We are to proclaim good tidings of His salvation. Four, we are to tell of His glory among the nations and His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Hmm, maybe that's local and global missions, which is ironic because I completely had no idea that Jill was speaking this morning about missions. What is our responsibility to that? We get to wrestle with that, and I'm excited about that. Five, we are to praise Him, it says in verse 4. For great is the Lord, and He's greatly to be praised. We praise somebody because they are praiseworthy. And so what that means is too often in Christianese, we say, Oh, Lord, I praise you. Why? We praise somebody because they're praiseworthy. They're worthy of praise. What did God do? So when we say, Lord, I praise you, we should actually say, Lord, I praise you because. Right? That's what it means to praise God. Lord, I praise you for this, and Lord, I praise you for that. And I'm telling you, our list is going to be so long. I have so many things to be thankful for to my Lord. Lord, I praise you because. Six, we are to fear him, it says in verse four also. He is to be feared above all gods. And that's a reverential fear as we recognize him for who he is, which is king. He's royalty. My best way to comprehend reverential fear is just police officers. I, I just, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm around a police officer. They got a gun. You got my attention. So when I'm around a police officer, I, I feel safe and, and, and I'm fearful at the same time. I know that sounds weird, right? So when I get pulled over, which doesn't happen that often, and the cop comes, I'm like, I'm, I'm 10 and 2. And I'm, I'm looking straight ahead. I'm smiling. I'm yes, sir, no, sir, because I don't want him to shoot me. I'm just, I, I, I think I'm that guy that's going to get shot. And I'm just, that's my, like, Police officers are like these little gods to me. That's how I treat the Lord, is kind of like a police officer. That's just the best way I can explain it. Anyway, we're to 
We're to understand the Lord in that kind of a light. Seven, we are to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, it says in verse 7 and 8. To ascribe to him is to give somebody their due credit. So if Robert says to me, hey, Pastor Mark, I need you to pick up my dry cleaning. I'm like, dude, I got it. I know how to do this. I know how to drive a car. I know how to pay somebody for your dry cleaning. I know I can put them on the hook in the back. I got it. And then an hour later, he says, dude, you can get my dry cleaning. Did you do it right? And I'd be like, dude, give me some credit, right? So this is what it means to ascribe, like ascribe to me some credit. Sometimes we don't ascribe to the Lord the things that are natural for him and we question and we doubt. And so we're to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Eight, we are to bring an offering to the Lord, it says in verse eight, to bring an offering to the Lord, to pay tribute, to show thanksgiving with that offering, to declare an alliance through submission, not asking for your money. I'm here to teach you God's word, whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else. Bringing an offering is important. Find a place to do that. Number nine, we are to come into his courts, it says in verse eight. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Those designated places where he can be found. Where are your courts where you spend time with God? I have a couple different bagel shops and those are my holy places and I go there and I spend time in the Word. And then I have my places where I pray. One of them is the downstairs room here in the corner and then I do it in my office as well where I get away from my desk and I have this little cafe table in my office and I pray there. And then I pray at home in a certain place as well. We are to come into his courts. Ten, we are to worship him in holy attire. And what that means is we are to set apart as opposed to common. When we worship God, do we set that time apart or are we flippant? And does it become common like everything else? And so we're, in, you know, we're still we're thinking football. And, you know, that's hard because, you know, I like football, right? And so we're like, we're in worship and we're, you know, whatever. And we're learning our phone and, you know, I get it. Things happen. But that, that, we're to worship him in holy attire. We're to set that time apart and not be flippant in our worship. God's people, it says in Psalm 24, 4, must worship with clean hands and a pure heart to be in a place where we just come into a sanctuary and we worship him and experience cleansing from the Lord before we worship him, as it says in Hebrews 10. 11, we are to tremble before the Lord, all the earth, it says in verse 9. We are to tremble. That's a further development of fearing God and reverencing God. It makes sense that the awesomeness of our Lord should cause all the earth to tremble. And then lastly, even creation is called to respond. In verses 11 and 12, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all it contains, let the field exult and all that is in it, and the trees of the forest will sing for joy. That's the how. So we have a who and we have a how. I love the summary of Psalm 96. If it says, If enthusiastic repetition is the mark of joyous, exuberant worship, this Psalm 96, shared by the congregation, must have been a thrilling anthem, a spiritual experience. Almost every form of worship is mentioned in Psalm 96. Song, praise, creedal recital, ascription of glory and honor, offering, worship, holy attire, reverent fear, and declaration. Equally comprehensive are the reasons offered for doing that. God's salvation, His glory, His great deeds, His greatness, His creative power, splendor, majesty, strength, holiness, sovereignty, and most of all, for an unjust and often oppressive world, the promise of His righteous and equitable judgment. Finally, the excitement of worship bursts forth from the sanctuary to include the heavens, the earth, the jubilant fields, the wild creatures, and the wind-blown forest because God has come. Comment at this point is inappropriate. The only fitting response is to join in. Oh, I love that. 
So church, what do we do with Psalm 96? What do we do with Psalm 96? How can we encounter 2016 differently and better than we did 2015? Does the Lord want to stretch you in this new year in discovering more about who He is? I encourage you to wrestle with God about that for 2016. Arguably, nothing should have more impact on our lives than to grow in our understanding of who the Lord is. So here's my challenge for you for 2016. Grow your who. Grow your who. And then when you come back each week and just say, how's your who going? You're growing in your who? Tell me about your who. That's a great thing, right? We can remember that. Tell me about your who. It's three letters. Three biggest letters of our life. Grow your who. What does that look like? A couple things. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Maybe God wants you to be involved with a Bible reading plan to get through the Bible in a year. This is the one I'm doing. It's 52 weeks. It's back at the welcome table. If you do this one in 52 weeks, you'll get through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice. I'm going to double up and do this twice next year in 2016. There's a couple reasons. One, I need it more than you. Two, I'm uber competitive, and I don't want anybody reading the Bible more than me in 2016. I'm just saying. That's back there if you want it. You'll get to the Old Testament once, the New Testament twice next year if you do that. Grow your who. What about a book? I don't know if you guys read books. I love reading books. I'm a slow reader, but I love reading books. So maybe you don't read any books. Read a book. Read a book to grow your who. Read a book about the Lord. Read a book about something that God might be tugging your heart about. Read a book. If you read a 365-page book, which they don't make much anymore, right? But if you did, if you read one 365-page book next year, that's how many pages a day? I'm just saying. It's possible. If you read two 365-page books next year, how many pages do you have to read a day? Two. See how easy this is? You might be able to get three in and read three pages a day. I know that's insane, like it's crazy. Just, just a thought, right? So maybe a book or two. How about a commentary? You read the Bible, you struggle, I don't understand certain things. Man, the Lord's going to be okay. Take 30, 40, 50 bucks, go buy a commentary. That's a great way to grow your who. If you need 30, 40 bucks, Bruce Cook's back there. He'll help you out. Sorry, Bruce. I'll, I'll help him out if you can. Bruce has got, yeah. Between Bruce and I, we'll help you buy a commentary. But go to Bruce first. Anyway, I don't know. That's just silly. You're in your car. Listen to the radio. What do you listen to? Maybe that's a good time to grow your who, right? Instead of listening to music. CDs that you can listen to. DVDs that you can watch. There's a lot of Christian universities within a 30-mile radius of our campus here, Right? Go to a seminar. There's lots of free things at Biola, at Azusa Pacific, at Vanguard, at, uh, what's the other, uh, Concordia. Uh, hope, I think there's hope. Full, anyway, right? Maybe God wants you to consider a spiritual mentor to grow your who. What about joining an HBF? We have a lot of HBFs in this church, a home Bible fellowship. What about joining a men's group or a women's group? What about starting a group? What about hosting a group? What about teaching in children's ministry? You want to grow your who? Teach children. They'll ask you all kinds of crazy questions. You'll be like learning about your who. It's great. Perhaps the Lord wants to stretch you in your how. How are you responding when you encounter the Lord? Sometimes our who is just fine. But how we're responding to what we already know is just not happening. And God says, look, I, you know, I, I, don't ha- I don't know if there's much more of my who I can give you because your how is just not keeping up. Does that make sense? Sometimes we're just stuck in the house. Like, I know plenty, but I'm just not doing the how part very well. It makes sense to me that as we encounter the Almighty, that this should change how we respond. 
So we need to grow our who, and we need to grow our how. Grow your who. Grow your who, grow your how. Right? How? Sing. Maybe God just wants you to sing. Maybe he wants you to proclaim the good news of salvation like the psalm talked about. Maybe the Lord's telling you there's somebody, your neighbor, a friend, a coworker, whatever that is that you need to share the gospel with. Local and global missions is another way to grow our how. Maybe God's tugging at your heart to join Jill and the team in, in local and global missions, whatever he has for us in that. Maybe God's challenged you to come into his courts more, whether that's being more of a regular attender in church or more of a regular attender in that quiet place where you spend time with God in prayer and in his word. Come into his courts more. Maybe it's in bringing an offering in such a way that keeps God on the throne instead of your finances on the throne. Again, don't need your money. Find a place because you need to give that as an act of worship to God. That's how we are to respond. We are to uh, bring an offering to the Lord. Find a place to bring that offering. It's part of your worship. It's part of how we are to respond. Perhaps we need to be less flippant in our worship. I love songs that I know the words to because I know the words to them. The problem is I know the words to them. Sometimes I check out and I don't have to concentrate as much. And so I'm trying to be less flippant in my worship. Perhaps, again, you have plenty of who, but God's challenging you in the how. I don't think I can ever overstate the fact that understanding who the Lord is cannot be separated from how we respond. Who He is determines how we respond. And for that reason, we will continue at the Rock Community Church to preach the Word of God in season and out of season so that we can continue to grasp who God is. What about the who and the how of some of your relationships? Let me put the scripture up real quick. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. They asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God and others as yourself. Everything depends on these two things. Love me and love your neighbor. So what about the who and the how in some of our other relationships as well? Who are the people in our lives and how do we respond to them? Because that's what's important to the Lord, how we interact with God and how we interact with other people. So who and how is your spouse? How's that going? You know your spouse, who they are, but how are you treating your spouse, your husband, your wife? What about your kids? What about your boss? You know your boss. You know who they are, but how are you treating your boss, your parents, friends, coworkers, brothers and sisters in Christ, and even our enemies? In Psalm 96, it starts off with, Sing to the Lord a new song. What a great opening line for a new year. And that's my prayer for, our, for you and for our church in this new year, that we have a better understanding of who God is so that we can respond how? With a new song, a new response like never before. A new experience of God's blessing, a new truth discovered in His Word, a new beginning after a crisis, a new open door for serving Him. All of these can make an old song new or give us a new song from the Lord. That's exciting. We're going to close with Lamentations and then a quote and then we're going to pray. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. We can sing a new song every day. I pray 2016 is a new song for us, church. Let me close with this. More than 130 years ago, a group of 20 distinguished Americans met in the Astor House in New York City during the presidency of Millard Fillmore. 
Among the dinner guests was, a, was the Secretary of State named Daniel Webster. And he was unusually quiet at this uh, dinner. In an effort to get him involved in the conversation, a colleague asked Mr. Webster this. Mr. Webster, will you tell me, what a great question, will you tell me what was the most important thought you've ever had? Isn't that a weird question? Talk about getting somebody to talk more than a yes or no answer, right? What's the most important thought, Mr. Webster, that you've ever had? And he paused, and then he said this very confidently. He says, the most serious thought that I have ever had occupy my mind was that of my individual responsibility to God. Response ability. My ability to respond. The most serious thought that has ever occupied my mind was that of my individual responsibility to God because he knew who God was and how he needed to respond. Grow your who. Let's grow our who. And let's grow our how. We can do this. It's three letters, two words. Right? I pray that we do that, that we wrestle with God in such a way where we just know more of who He is and we respond better in our how. Amen? I'm going to close this out by reading out of Psalm 97. So pray with me and then our prayer team will be available when we're done. Let's pray. Out of Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround Him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. Fire goes before Him and burns up His adversaries round about. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare His righteousness and all the peoples have seen His glory. And everybody said, Amen. Great to see everybody. Merry Christmas. Have a great weekend.